You're listening to ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. When you have a child with diabetes, there is a lollipop lurking around every corner. Most of us never give a second thought to the pervasiveness of sweets and snacks in our culture, until... Welcome to the ReachMD Book Club. I'm Dr. Leslie Lunt, author of You Can Think Like a Psychiatrist, your host, and with me today is author Jim Hirsch. Jim is a former reporter for the New York Times and the Wall Street Journal, and the author of several acclaimed books, including the best-selling Hurricane, The Miraculous Journey of Reuben Carter. Diagnosed with diabetes himself at age 15, he is also a principal in Close Concerns, a diabetes-focused consultancy and publishing company in San Francisco. Welcome to ReachMD, Jim. Thank you. It's good to be here. Jim, one of the most poignant parts of your book for me was when you tell us about how your son was diagnosed with diabetes. Can you share that with us, please? Sure. Well, as someone with diabetes who has two children, I'm always on the lookout for symptoms in in either of my kids. You know, diabetes does have a genetic component, so I knew that our kids, you know, did have a, a higher risk. Our son was three years old when he started complaining about being thirsty and having to go to the bathroom more often than usual. And thirst and excessive urination are classic symptoms for diabetes. And so I was observing this for probably two or three weeks, and my concerns were beginning to mount. I I didn't say anything to my wife about it because I was just kind of hoping and uh, hoping that these symptoms would, would go away. And then one night, our son Garrett wasn't feeling well. It was about midnight, and he complained that he was achy and he was thirsty, and he came into our bed. And so I tested his blood sugar with my meter, and sure enough, the letters came up HI, which I had never seen before. At first, it was like high as if the meter was telling me hello, but then I realized it wasn't hello. It was high as in his blood sugar is, is high. And that was certainly the most heartbreaking moment of my life because I just knew what now lay before Garrett. And because he was so young, only three years old, you know, I, th- I think that's a very hard age because he's really too young to understand what's going on, but he's old enough to know he doesn't like taking shots. And so as I describe in the book, you know, I, I took Garrett to the hospital that night and we went through the whole you know routine of of his getting checked out and tested and the diagnosis was confirmed. And I just think what was so hard is that the fact that it's a chronic disease and that he's always going to have it. And in many ways, the burden of diabetes has become much, much greater, ironically, because as we've gotten more sophisticated in our treatment of the disease and we understand what we need to do to maintain normal blood sugars, we impose many more burdens on the patient in terms of injections and testing your blood sugar and insulin pumps and counting carbs. You know, when I was diagnosed in 1977, the standard of care was two shots a day and you would test your urine once or twice a day. And in fact, that was considered good care. A lot of patients back then 
we're only taking one shot a day using one type of insulin. Now, if you if you get diagnosed and you want to be on the most progressive care available, you're going to take three shots a day or four shots a day, or you're going to do an insulin pump, which adds a whole other layer of things that you've got to take care of because you have this you know, highly sophisticated mechanical device attached to your body 24-7, and you're going to test your blood sugar four, five, six, seven times a day, and you're going to count your carbs every single meal, and you're going to try to calculate carbs and insulin ratios and all this other stuff. And so, you know, for those of us who've been doing it for a while, we can kind of incorporate that into our lifestyles to the point where it just becomes part of living. But impose that on a three-year-old, and it's a much different challenge. And so those were the kinds of thoughts that I, I had going through my head when he was first diagnosed, that it was just such an unbelievable burden for him to have, and he was really so young, it'd be, it was going to be so hard for him to understand it. And all of us that are parents know getting a three-year-old to do anything can sometimes be difficult, more or less, to deal with the enormity of this problem. And the lollipop brigade, that was a phrase that I, I used to talk about how just our communities, uh, I think without us even knowing it, revolve so much around sweets and candy and, and high-carb foods, whether it's the foods that are served in schools, whether it's birthday parties, whether it's you know holiday parties, or just you know walking around my town, I couldn't help but notice there were lollipops in the post office, lollipops in the bank, lollipops in the barber shop, lollipops in the bakery. Everywhere you go, in the the shoe store, they were giving away lollipops. It just becomes like almost the greeting card for these stores to say, okay, well we're showing that we care about our customers. And so most kids like lollipops. And so you have to tell a child with diabetes, you know, this this really isn't what we can have, and you have to explain why. And then they feel as if they are left out, even if they don't particularly like lollipops. It's painful for them to feel left out. Just to share this one anecdote with you quickly, when Garrett was in, in kindergarten, he was in this after-school program in which one day they were going to go to a bagel shop and watch how the bagels were made and then at the end of the uh, of that they were each going each kid was going to get a bagel now bagels are very high carb foods one bagel has like 80 grams of carbohydrate and that's before the cream cheese and so that's a huge carb load for a child and Garrett understands how you know the insulin and the food and the exercise works and he understands that having a, a bagel would not be something that he could do, but he said he really wanted to go on this field trip and, and have the bagel. And I said, well, I'll make a deal with you. I'll let you have half of the bagel. And he said, no, no. He said, I, I want the whole bagel. And he said, you can come to the bagel shop and give me an extra injection of insulin so I can have that bagel. Well, Garrett hates taking shots. I mean, I mean that's kind of, that was our biggest challenge at that time. But he, he was willing to take the extra shot just so he could have the bagel. So on the day of the trip, I go to the bagel shop, I test Garrett's blood sugar, I give him the shot of insulin, he has the bagel, he goes back to his after-school program, runs around, comes home, he tests, he's, he's 198, which is in target for him, and so we survive the bagel crisis. But Leslie, here's the thing, Garrett doesn't like bagels, but in this case, he wanted to have the bagel because all the other kids in his class, we're having a bagel. So 
So, I mean, and to me, that's, that was such a great insight, not just for a child with diabetes, but for anyone with diabetes. I mean, we we just want to feel as if we're part of the crowd. We don't want to feel like we stand out, and particularly for a child, you know, he he just wants to be like all of his of his other friends. If you've just joined us, you're listening to Reach MD XM one fifty seven, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Leslie Lunt, your host, and with me today is author Jim Hirsch. We are discussing his book, Cheating Destiny. Jim, talking about your son, one of the funny parts in the book, actually, was you mentioned the only sort of lollipop-free zone is at the dentist office. <laughs> and that may change someday, right? Oh, yeah. Well, they're going to probably come up with a, a sugar-free lollipop, so maybe that, that will change someday. Now, what advice do you give to other parents who have children with diabetes? You know, I would give a, a parent with, with a diabetic child the, the same advice I would give a person with diabetes, which is that I think it's important to be realistic about disease and to understand that no matter how hard you try, you're going to have good days and bad days, you're going to have ups and downs, and to remember that when you have a good day with diabetes, you take credit for it. And when you have a bad day with diabetes, you blame the disease and you vow to make better decisions tomorrow. Oh, any words of wisdom to those of us that see children in our practices? I think the best thing you can do for a child with diabetes is to just be as patient and loving as possible and try to understand you know, what their particular needs are. Obviously, a 3-year-old compared to a 6-year-old compared to a 10-year-old is going to have a very different point of view about, about diabetes and the kinds of issues that they, that they have. But you know what? I think that's the same advice I would give to a doctor who has an adult with diabetes. It's just, it's really being willing to take the time to understand what the, what the problems are and to work together to try to find a solution that you know, allows the patient to feel good about himself or herself while managing the disease as best they can and doing everything possible to avoid the risks of complications down the road. You give a great example in your book about how one of the physicians that your son had seen would use a full needle stick to get blood when clearly there is technology that isn't so invasive. Yes, well, I describe how when we ran Children's Hospital in Boston, which is a very prestigious hospital, one of the tests that you take if you have diabetes is a blood test called an A1C test, and they have to get blood from your body, and they now have these tests where you can just do a finger prick and get a drop of blood, and that's sufficient to do this particular test. But at Children's Hospital, they did not have the machine that did this particular test with a finger prick. Instead, they wanted to draw the blood with an IV tube from my son's vein. And when Garrett went into the hospital when he was diagnosed, they had to put an IV tube in his arm, and they had a very difficult time hitting the vein, which is apparently it's difficult for a child to do that. And I told the doctor, I said, I'm not going to let you put an IV in my son's arm to get blood when I know that there's this machine, which actually you can go online and buy it for $2,000, and this machine will do it with a single finger prick of, of blood. And the doctor was very apologetic. He said he'd been trying to get the hospital to, to buy this machine, but he couldn't do it because there was red tape involved and you had to show 
how this machine was going to save the hospital money. And finally I said, well, are you telling me that you're putting the patient welfare second behind the hospital's bottom line? And he said yes. And shortly after that, we left. And we moved Garrett over to the Jocelyn Clinic, where they do have the finger prick machine, and he's been getting great care ever since. Thank you for sharing your ideas and experiences with us, Jim. Well, thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. We've been discussing the book, Cheating Destiny, with its author, Jim Hirsch. I'm Dr. Leslie Lunt. You've been listening to the ReachMD Book Club on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. We welcome your questions and comments, so please visit us at ReachMD.com. Our new on-demand and podcast features will allow you to access our entire program library. Thank you for listening.